listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. This is ACB Advocacy Update. Um, I'm Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of Blind, and sitting next to me... Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thanks, everyone, listening on ACB Radio, as well as those listening via their favorite podcast player. As always, you can learn more about ACB on our website at acb.org. And thank you to Sprint T-Mobile for underwriting this podcast and the rest of our podcast for 2020. So we'll jump right into it because we have two awesome guests. But just as a backdrop, today is the 10th anniversary. That's right, the 10th anniversary of the passage of the, let's see if I can do it, the 21st Century Communication and Video Accessibility Act, the CVAA. So let's talk to two great, awesome guests who can tell us all about it. Well, we are here now to introduce our first guest and uh, launch into this exciting topic here on the anniversary of the CVAA. Um, so without any further ado, um, Jesse, Jesse Acosta, welcome to um, ACB Advocacy Update. We're excited to, to learn who you are and your involvement in the CVAA and just hear more about your story. Um, I know before we even started recording, just hearing some really cool, exciting things about your life. So um, before we jump into the meat of the CVAA. Jesse, do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourselves to our listener? Yes. Hi. Good morning or good afternoon to you in the East Coast. I'm here in the <laughs> West Coast, sunny Southern California. Uh, I am Jesse Acosta. Um, I served 34 years in the United States Army, and this is how I came home. I lost my eyes in combat. I was hit by a bomb. Uh, other than that, I am employed by Southern California Gas Company. Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't get reemployed soon after. I had to go through some uh, extensive surgeries and whatnot um, in order to get back into the public and clean up some. But I am presently still employed. I went back to uh, the gas company April of uh, 2010, and um, well, here I am. And it's a pleasure being with you all, all my compadres who are out there, you know. Thank you very much. Yeah, I meant to give a shout out, Jesse. You and I had talked before. I am a native Southern Californian myself, so go SoCal. <laughs> and yeah. Jesse, we are, we are here celebrating the 10th anniversary of the 21st Century Communications Video Accessibility Act. I so, let him say the full name because I can never get that out in one breath. Claire is here for CVAA. <laughs> uh, 10 years to the day. And I mean, certainly we could have you back another time here in National Disability Employment Awareness Month to talk about your, uh, your road from injury and vision loss uh, through rehabilitation and employment. I think that would also be a very interesting podcast. But, but tell us about, um, in terms of technology, what your adjustment was being a, a sighted individual, a, a member of the U.S. military, to losing your sight and having to become reacquainted with technology? Well, you know, those are very, very, very good questions. You know, what do you do when you lose complete sight? Well, um, and I had no idea that uh, what had transpired to me uh, in combat, because I woke up days later. I don't know how many, to this day, I have no idea how many days uh, it took for me to wake up from a coma after I was hit by the bomb. 
uh, I, when I woke up, I was in Landstuhl, Germany, and there the physician stood beside me monitoring, I guess, uh, my progress because they didn't expect me to survive. Um, and when I woke up, all I heard was, wow, warrior, it looks like you're going to live. And I stood there very quietly. I go, who are you? I said other words, of course. And I go, and what are you doing in my room if I was in my room? He goes, don't you know? I go, know what? He goes, you were hit by the bomb. I go, hit by the bomb. And he goes, and uh, you lost your eyes. At that point in time, the impact, if, I mean, I, I, you could probably feel it in the air, the ambience was my eyes, and I stood there immediately. There goes my military career. There goes my employment. What do I do from this point on without my eyes? Because, of course, I've had them all my life. I was 48 years old. What do I do? How do I recover from this? Who is going to help me? I, I, I had... I, there were so many questions in my head that I, it was actually making me spin like, you know, that's it. My life is over, over, because I was a completely independent individual. I did it all. I was a cyclist. I would run. I'd work out in the gym almost every day. I stood in shape, you know. So um, what was I going to do? Not to mention, I love to drive my cars. I have a 1969 Dodge Dart. It's a muscle car. Nice. How was I going to drive that around, you know? So um, basically life was over for me at that point in time. From that point on, I was transferred to Walter Reed, uh, and I stood there for who knows how long. When the doctor confronted me and he said, well, warrior, again, he goes, there's nothing we can do for you. When he said that, that confirmed me being lost completely. He goes, we're going to transfer you to Northern California, Palo Alto, to the VA out there because they had a BRC, Blind Rehab Center, mm -hmm. and a polytrauma unit because I had sustained multiple injuries, not just the loss of my eyes, traumatic brain injury. My jaw was blown out. I, I was in bad shape. I was in really bad shape. So they transferred me over there. Um, I believe I landed there like in mid-February. I was hit January 16 of 2006, and I landed there somewhere mid-February, late February. I don't remember. Um, and what was I going to do there at the, the Blind Rehab Center? I was lost, even though quote, unquote, they were supposed to be the experts in uh, training us, teaching us, uh, you know, all these devices, how to walk down the sidewalk, uh, across the streets, the corners, and whatnot. But I was not in tune because of my injuries. They were still fresh. I had no clue what I was doing, to be honest with you. But still, what still resonated in my head was, where do I go from here? How do I pick myself back up? And again, both my careers out the door. So it took a while 
And mind you, to this day, I'll say the same thing I said back then. The VA had no clue what they were doing to someone as fresh as I being hit by a bomb. They didn't know what to do. So I came home. I told them I was going to come home. And I did. I came home. They said, you can't go home. You're on orders. I go, I don't care. You go tell the president I'm going home. Okay. And I did. I ended up home. Being here in uh, back home in Southern California and still on orders, I was still active duty. Uh, somehow or another, uh, this coordinator out of West LA VA got a hold of me and introduced herself. It was a lady. I can't remember her name. And uh, she said, I am your new VIS coordinator, and I will assist you as best I can. And I'd like to meet you. So I was taken to her office, and there she said, whatever devices you need, I will get them for you. And, you know, being as green as can be, I didn't know how the system worked. I don't even know what a VIS coordinator was. I didn't know what devices were out there for us. I had no clue. And if I got them, how do I use them? Who's going to train me? So there I was. So she said, um, there's a school here in West LA called Junior Blind of America. Are you interested in it? And I said, Junior Blind? Is that for little kids? Junior Blind of America? <laughs> you know? I didn't know what to think. She goes, uh, no, it's a school for adults and kids, children as well. And I said, sure. So I got enrolled um, 2007, I believe, like February, summer's around there. And, uh, and that's where my whole life changed, believe it or not, going to that school. Um, they were still trying to train me in computers. And mind you, when I left the VA in Northern California, uh, they would not endorse me for a guide dog because they said I was, now here's their words, I was too slow learning. And in other words, I was retarded. So they did not endorse me for a dog. And I, I left disappointed. Others were being endorsed. Others were getting their dogs. And I came home empty-handed. I said, really? This is what I get for serving all these years? I'm too slow? So at JBA, Junior Blind of America, I, um, they put me in an intense uh, orientation mobility class, you know, to learn how to navigate here around the city, uh, the county, counties, and whatnot. And, um, and that's what I did for months on end until my instructor said, well, you know, you're ready for a dog. And I stood there like, what? But she goes, no, you're ready for a dog. Sooner said, said than done, uh, the CNI called me from uh, New Jersey. And they said, Sergeant Major. And I go, yes. And the individual introduced themselves. We got your dog here for you. Mm. I go, you kidding me? Right? I, I go, so how do I go get my dog? Or do you bring it here? He go, no, we're going to fly you. We're going to house you. We're going to feed you. We're going to train you. And I stood there and go, wow. 
I go, how much is it going to cost me? He goes, nothing. And again, I didn't know how the system worked. I go, this is going to, it's nothing. It's free. And I stood there free. So my request was I wanted a German Shepherd because I saw those dogs in action and combat. Oh, my gosh. If you can see what these dogs did, unbelievable. So I go, I want one of the dogs, you know. And uh, they facilitated me. In a month and a half, I came home with a shepherd, huge German shepherd. And, what was uh, his or her name? His name was Charlie Boy. <laughs> and uh, he passed up, yeah, he passed away in 2015. I have another one. Her name is Junie. She's a lot more petite. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah. I've heard Charlie Boy was uh, very, quite, <laughs> quite a dog in terms of stature. Oh, oh, oh. Number one, he loved women, okay? He would see a woman, and, and, and he would go the opposite way. <laughs> and I'd go, come on, Charlie boy, straighten up. Focus, focus. And uh, there he would get focused, refocused. But back to my, uh, my training as far as uh, uh, devices and whatnot, I met a gentleman by the name of Louis Herrera at JBA. That man... And now he wasn't an instructor at JBA. He just heard about me from his wife because she was uh, uh, an instructor at the school. So he just came and he says, hey, uh, is there anything I can do for you? I go, who are you? And he introduced himself, Louis Herrera. My wife is Marie. And I said, what do you mean? What can you do for me? He goes, well, I could teach you computers. And again, their method of teaching there at JBA, uh-uh, sorry. They needed some help, you know. And here I am, newly blind, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So I, I got him, I got the government to get a contract with him to teach me to where I'm at now, believe it or not. And that's why I'm able to use all these devices I have is because of that, that man, Louis Herrera. And uh, so he trained me every day. He took his time. He knew exactly what needed to be done his way, his method, not the curriculum way. Say, wait a minute, this guy has a lot of issues here. Let's take a different approach in which he did and which I, I adhere to. And, and there I went off. I finally came to a point where I said, you know, I was still active duty. Uh, come March of 2010, I said, I think I'm ready for the world. So I told my former employer, Southern California Gas Company, I go, I'm coming back. And they were like, what? You're coming back? I said, yeah. So they put a team together, okay, as, as good as they were accommodating me, there was still a missing puzzle. How do I get back to the workforce? How do I make the company computer work for me since they have their own proprietary software? It, it wasn't doable for me at all. I go, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So... 
I threw a shout out. Hey, Louie, I need your help. So I introduced him to Southern California Gas Company. He was the missing link in getting me back on my feet and reemployed to this day. I've been employed 10 and a half years uh, with a gas company again. And to make matters even better, Louie got hired full time as well. And he works in downtown LA. Yeah. So um, it, it, it all depends on the answer to your question about these devices. It's who you have that has the knowledge and the patience to teach us correctly in order to move ahead in life. Whether you're going to be employed or not, we still need devices. We still need to be connected to the outside. We still want to be independent with ourselves. If we don't have that connection, we're in a lost world because this world is moving so fast. I recall when I had my eyesight, there was none of this stuff out there, really. And in the past, I'm going to be blind 15 years now. Oh, my gosh. Look how fast. The whole world is moving. Zoom wasn't out there. Hello, right? <laughs> Look at it now. It's boom because of all the virus, you know, and, and things, new stuff keep coming up. So, yes. you know, it, it, yeah. Yeah, you certainly had to advocate for yourself with the, with the VA as you received your orientation mobility training, um, with Louis helping you learn and teach you technology, and then also going back to your employer, the gas company, what made you want to take your advocacy to Washington, D.C. Um, and testify before Congress on these issues? Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, honestly, I knew nothing about the initiative. And I was approached, um, I think it was Eric Bridges. I don't remember who it was who yeah, approached yeah. me about <laughs> who uh, approached me and said, hey, we would like you to represent uh, ACB and the blind community uh, at, at the Capitol and testify in front of Congress. I go, about what? He goes, uh, accessibility. And I go, okay. Now, mind you, that was 2008, and I was still green, still fresh, newly blind and all that stuff. I go, sure, what do I got to say? He goes, well, say what you got to say in your own words, but here are somewhat of the guidelines, right? And I stood there and I go, ah, this is easy, okay. Uh, And I had no idea who's going to be on the panel, uh, and I'm going to get to that. It's very ironic how things turned out. But uh, I was introduced to the hard of hearing and deaf, individuals that were there testifying as well. Um, I was introduced to uh, the panel, of course. And so what was my testimony about? And it was just what I just spoke about, you know, what was accessible to us and what was not accessible. And uh, caveat to it all, I threw in, I have a 1984 Chrysler LeBaron. It's a convertible. I restored that car, and that car. The feeling that you have uh, 
beautiful cars you could tell us about. <laughs> right, right. I have so many and I don't drive. But anyhow, <laughs> that car, uh, you would open the door, the car would talk to you. What? You would sit down in the car, yeah, and you would put the key in it. And before you would start the engine, it would tell you your fuel level, your oil level, your temperature. It talked to you. That car talked to you. 1984. And here I was in 2008. So I stood, I go, wait a minute. So you guys mean to tell me we don't have devices out there that talk to us? And here I have a 1984 Dodge, I mean, Chrysler Baron that talks to you. I go, how could that be, man? That's an American-made car. I mean, really? That was my testimony. That's where I started in 2008. And who happened to be in the panel, sitting in that panel that was Congress? Is a lady from here, Southern California, Hilda Solis. And the story gets bigger and better from that point on. So those were the answers I gave then. And that's how I was approached by ACB. Now, mind you, I had, um, while going to JBA, I went, I was taken to one of the conventions here in LA. And that's when I was introduced to ACB. Now, what did I know about ACB? What did I know about CCB? What did I know about NF? I knew nothing. Who are you guys? What is this? You know, I don't know. I don't know anything about these groups, uh, these advocacies. Okay, so, but right there and then, it was interesting at the convention center, they had me uh, speak briefly. They introduced me. I spoke. And uh, and I can't be around crowds. I disappeared disappear very quickly because of my PTSD. But when I finished speaking, and it was towards the end of the convention, I asked my escort, take me outside, please, you know, outside the convention doors, so I could breathe some air. Oh, my gosh. As I was escorted outside the double doors, and this was before I got Charlie Boy, uh, I was in uniform, by the way. I was still in my military uniform because I was still active duty, like I said. All of a sudden, I heard a rush of people coming out the door. And um, my escort said, Sergeant Major, um, these people want to meet you. I go, who are they? Who are these people? They go, they're blind people. So there was people all around me wanting to shake my hand. And here's the funny thing. All of a sudden, they wanted to know what it was for us warriors wearing our uniform. They started touching me all over to fill my uniform. <laughs> and I'm like, I stood back. I go, what is going on? And my escort started laughing. She goes, well, they can't see. So they see with their hands, their fingers. And I stood there. Oh, they were touching my, my name tag my uh my badge my uniform and i go welcome to the new world <laughs> i go little did i know little did i have any idea 
how a blind person lived or a person who's disabled. What a wake-up call was that. So from that point on, here I am, proudly representing the blind. Jesse, you mentioned uh, being blind for 15 years now. And as you became reacquainted with technology and you've learned all the devices that are out there, before we started recording, you were mentioning that you have three smartphones. Uh, what would you say that the, the biggest difference over you know, just the past 10 years since the passage of the CVAA, what would you say the biggest difference you've noticed with accessible and assistive technology? Well, the big difference is, is there a big difference? Yes. Is it rapidly approaching us? No. <laughs> I have to chuckle on it. But yeah. uh, there's been a huge difference compared to when I had my eyesight to where we are now. And I think it's because of uh, um, the advocacies that are out there, the push, you know, making it a push, having this bill signed. I hope it has made a huge impact where, you know, these devices, whether it's a phone, uh, whether it's a, a, a cable box, whatever it may be, uh, they're improving on it. Yeah, it's getting done, but is it moving rapidly? No, not the way it should be, because I'll tell you what, you can, you can fabricate a box in a day, but blindness has been there forever. So why isn't, you know, isn't it toe-to-toe -to -toe with one another? Well, that's because of the companies. They don't want to fork out an extra chip. You know, they think it's going to cost them a lot more. It's not. Everything is out there. If my car, a 1984, could talk to you, what's the excuse now? They didn't charge you extra if you had sight to drive that car, to have those chips put in that car. And it wasn't on a, on request. Hey, can you make me a smart car? It wasn't like that, nothing like that. But yeah, we're lacking in productivity in having these uh, devices advanced for us, the blind, and of course for others that have other different disabilities, of course. But uh, there has been a huge improvement from the time I got deployed deployed in two thousand five. And I was hit January of 2006 till now. All these devices weren't out there. Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable how the world has changed, but not fast enough. Because, you know, we are not stagnant in just, okay, this device came out in 2006. It should be good for 20 years. Really? Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, I'm an old fogey now, you know. So, therefore, I'm still changing with everything that's out there and trying to stay in tune with new devices uh, that are popping up. You know, that's how you keep your, your mind fresh and uh, in tune to what's out there and available to us all. You know, the question is, how fast can they make it? For us, how fast can we acquire those devices? Now, mind you, I hate to say this, but I'm what somewhat in the um, uh, gifted arena, so to speak, because I get all my stuff, with the exception of different phones, of course, the uh, 
I get all my stuff from the government. Mm -hmm. They have to um, provide me with all my devices since I lost my eyes in combat. You know, I was better federally employed, so therefore uh, I get all these devices. But let's talk about my blind peeps, my folks who don't hold a job, never had a job probably, and cannot afford these devices. So not only should we advocate to get these devices accessible for our people, but also affordable for our people. Not everybody could spend a thousand dollars on a phone, really. Uh-uh. They'll have to acquire possibly a used phone or an Obama phone. But is it going to come with all the accessibilities that we need? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I do know this. A lot of our blind people are unemployed and they live off of Social Security. And that really hurts me and that bothers me. I was, again, I was blessed to get hit in combat and not being able to pay for any of my devices unless it's out of the spectrum. And I can, I can still go and acquire those devices on my own. But about my people, that's not right. We are the richest nation in the world. Why can't we provide my people what they need? Why? Yeah, I think it's great how you mentioned the accessibility, but also the affordability and a point you touched on earlier, the specialized training yeah. so that folks, you know, even, even once you have a great device, they can do everything in the world. You still learn how to use it properly. That's correct. Oh, yeah. Not everybody's trained the same. You, you know, every trainer is different. It's not a, a, you know, one package fits all kind of thing. No, no, no. You know, we may have different issues, different abilities, different disabilities. Um, you may not all be there like me uh, as far as my brain goes with the traumatic brain injury. Uh, and, and mind you, I couldn't even speak correctly when I came home. Mm. I couldn't retain a darn thing. Here I am. I fooled them all. That's awesome. <laughs> so there you go. Well, thank you so much. I It's just been so awesome, really. I can't think of a better word to say than awesome to hear about your experience and, uh, you know, your personal background and how you, you know, got into assistive tech. Um, and the work you've done, you know, ACB cannot thank you enough for what you did going to talk in front of Congress. You know, it's it's an important thing and it's something we should um, always, you know, remember as a great asset to the American people that we have the right and the ability to talk before Congress. So on behalf of ACB, thank you so much for doing that for us. And um, yeah, is there, you know, just in closing, is there anything else you'd like to share about you know, just the world of technology and the doors it opens for the, those of us who are blind and visually impaired. And what are your last words of wisdom as it relates to technology in the 21st century? Well, first and foremost, I want to thank ACB for giving me the opportunity to represent ACB and the blind community. Uh, this would not have happened uh, without ACB, of course. Uh, but as far as the uh, technology goes, uh, all I can say is, you know, for us, the blind community, is to stay in tune. Don't be left out. It's up to you to step forward and say, hey, I need this. 
I need that. And don't be afraid to ask. Somehow, somewhere, there is a nonprofit out there that may be able to uh, uh, acquire those devices that you need. Uh, I don't know how you can acquire or get information for uh, nonprofits that do stuff like this. And if there isn't any out there, maybe we should start one. But don't ever, ever leave yourself out. Don't count yourself out. And don't think that you can't do it because that's all I would hear from the blind uh, that didn't know or didn't have a smartphone. I can't afford it, number one. I'm, I'm completely lost without my flip phone. No, don't put yourself in that position. Stay in tune. And let's see what we can do as far as acquiring a device for you. There are groups out there, believe me you. But um, again, I'm blind, I'm proud, and I'm a proud blind veteran, and uh, I love my peeps, man. I did not know how much they were suffering in a way, not suffering, suffering, suffering. I'm talking about how much we were so neglected out there. But you know what? You have a group here with ACB that stands beside you. Those are my words. Well, thank you. We're proud, uh, at least I'm proud to be one of your blind peeps, and thank you for the service, uh, your service to our country. Thank you. The SoCal blind peeps. The no SoCal less. blind peeps, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Hey. <laughs> but, uh, thank you. Folks, please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with our next guest. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're now going to be joined by our second guest of the day. Uh, we started on one side of the country in California. Now we're moving to the other side of the country in Massachusetts. Um, so our next and last, I guess, guest of the day um, is Mr. Carl Richardson. Carl, do you want to briefly introduce yourself in 30 seconds or less to our listeners? Sure. I am Carl Richardson. I am the co-chair of the Audio Description Project, and I also serve on the Federal Communications Commission Disability Advisory Commission, uh, Disability Advisory Committee. Say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl, here as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the CVAA, we just spoke with Jesse uh, Acosta, whose advocacy was an integral part of the CVAA's passage 10 years ago. And one of the things that really stuck with me from what Jesse just mentioned was that we need more accessible technology, we need it to be affordable, and we also need um, training and knowledgeable resources available to assist us with that technology. Um, any thoughts on that before we get going? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> many people here in the blindness community in ACB, when they think of the CBAA, they do think of audio description as the primary thing, because that's the sexy part of it, right? <laughs> but but it does it does cover a lot more. For instance, you know, our iPhones and our Android devices are, you know, have screen readers built into them because of the CVAA. And in terms of devices, I'm thinking of someone like my mother who's Asian who is fallen into the visually impaired community or the hard of hearing community, but isn't necessarily going to use an iPhone. So may, I would love to see flip phones, uh, simple flip phones become more accessible. And I think mm -hmm. that should fall under the CVAA when we redo the CVAA. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and in terms of 
other devices and, and technology. Some of the technology we, when the CVAA was passed 10 years ago, is being moved away from, for instance, over the top cable boxes. Uh, AT&T, for instance, is moving away from that into a virtual cable service. Will we have the same accessibility in a virtual cable service which doesn't have any uh, requirements right now? So there's, there's a lot of things. We need to keep simple technology. Internet of Things is another, you know, dishwasher. Uh, my wife and I just went out to buy all at once. I kid you not, a dishwasher, a microwave, and my washing machine failed because they were all about 20 years old. And we had to go out and buy them. And I struggled to find one that had dials. And it would be mm -hmm. nice if those, <clears throat> but a lot of them now work with your phone. So why not have a requirement that you put an app on the phone that works with the, since our devices are accessible, the iPhones and the Android phones, why not require that they simply have an app that's accessible to to automate those devices, that sort of thing. So, so there are things we can do um, that that moving forward we didn't think of ten years ago that we can think of now. So, Carl, let's uh, expand briefly on one of those topics you brought up. Um, going back to television and broadcasting, um, like you said, things change in ten years, and so when the CVAA was passed ten years ago, we looked um, heavily at broadcasting television. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of broadcast television anymore. I use, you know, Netflix and Hulu. And so can you talk about how that's changed and how we might want to see changes because of that? So as of now, there is no audio description mandate or even accessibility app mandate for when I say app. The apps don't have to be accessible mm -hmm. unless they came pre-downloaded on the device that you have. But if you download, if they're not, included on the device, say, for instance, a Comcast cable box or a even an Apple TV. I don't want to point out everybody's doing a good job, so I don't want to. But whatever device you use, if they don't become pre-available on the device, then they don't have to be accessible. That's number one. And two, they're not required to have uh, be screen reader friendly or have audio description. Now, thank God many of them are, but there are new streaming services launching every day, and they're not required to have accessibility or audio description. And we're moving, Claire, you're not the only one. You're under 40. I would say any, anybody <laughs> under 40 doesn't watch broadcast television anymore. And that, that, the, that goes not only streaming services, cable companies are required to have their over-the-top boxes accessible and Televisions are required to have, be accessible and have, say, an SAP channel that you second audio, audible, excuse me, second audio program channel that you can make accessible and turn on. But virtual services, virtual cable services, um, and, and I'm not naming these, saying they're not doing it, but I want to give an example, like a YouTube TV or AT&T now or a peacock, they're not required to have an SAP. So that's the other thing to, to <clears throat> think about moving forward as we look at the CVAA. And even with regards to broadcast television, we did not foresee the need to compete with the Spanish or foreign language tracks mm -hmm. on broadcast television. It would be nice if we put in a requirement that we have a separate 
audio track of our own so that we don't compete because we don't want to take away from other um, communities having access to their programming and their preferred choice of languages too. That's important. And with, with us moving to digital television, there's no need why we can't do that for all. For sure. Carl, 10 years ago with the Communications Video Accessibility Act, CVAA, um, I mean, we were somewhat, I guess, limited by our own imaginations, right? Right. Like the iPhone with built-in accessibility had just come out one year previously to the bill's passage. Um, the iPhone 3GS in 2009, the bill passed in 2010. Um, you know, most people watched broadcast television. Most people subscribe to cable TV service with set-top boxes, um, I, the landscape is just so different now. And right. even though the, the law does not specifically mention um, over-the-top or streaming TV services, we've seen such great innovations in that space just because the, the technology is new. They, have, they could design it with the infrastructure to support multiple language tracks, whether that's foreign language, audio description, or even multiple tracks of closed captioning. Right. Um, how do you see that sort of innovation impacting the, the broader video landscape? I mean, does that have a bearing on what can be done in broadcast or the cable arenas? Well, I think broadcast and the cable arena are, are uh, creating services that can more seem to our second streaming devices, such as your phone, <clears throat> such as your, you know, your Echo devices, uh, your show and tell uh, devices that now have a little screen on them. They're going to, and we need to make sure that those devices are also accessible and also have a way to turn on the SAP. For instance, right now, there's no requirement that many of the second, secondary streaming devices that many of us are using have a requirement to turn on the SAP, even though there is a requirement to send emergency information to the SAP. So it's there, but there's no way to turn it on. Um, so we just need, and, and with COVID and, and the world that we live in now, we also need to make sure no matter what device we're using, we have access to emergency information. Mm -hmm. That's even more important. And so we just, I think we need to, when we go back, with the legislature and work with the legislature and the FCC, we need to, we now know technology is not going to stay put and change and things are changing fast, but we need to create a new CVAA that will move with the technology because to be honest, I don't know what, what we're going to be doing in 10 years. But we I was about to say that, you know, when we, yeah. if we do quote unquote and hopefully have a CVA 2.0 as we like to call it, yeah, what will the language look like to accommodate well, the rolling technology? One example would be to say if a show has been audio described, it follows the show no mm -hmm. matter what format or what device it's played on. You know, I mean, the deaf, tech, the deaf community did that to an extent that if it's ever mm -hmm. been captioned for broadcast, the captions can follow when it goes on to the internet. We didn't know enough to do that 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are ways to do it <clears throat> because it's, we also know how frustrating it is to see, say, a title in the movie theater 
and then not be able to watch it when it's on a streaming service. For sure. You know, um, mm -hmm. so we need to say that the titles, the, the work follows, but it also means we have to make sure all the devices are accessible so you can access the titles. And the CVA also does, you know, stuff for the deaf blind community. I don't want to forget them in terms of giving them uh, equipment that allows them to communicate with their peers and, and other folks. And that's hugely important. And we need to make sure that happens, uh, continues to happen and fund that properly. And also expand the definition of the type of devices. Like one of the things I've never understood is that they'll pay for an iPad so you can communicate, but they won't pay for hearing aids. Well, if I didn't wear hearing aids, I couldn't communicate with you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that's going away, but I just want to say, the CVA also impacts the deafblind community as well, mm -hmm. and, the and and people with dental. It, it's a wide range in law, and it it it. I think after the ADA, probably the second most important thing because it's all about communication, entertainment, emergency information, accessible communication devices. It, it's wide ranging. Carl, on the topic of emergency communications. Um, there are requirements in place for accessible emergency alerts, correct? Correct. But, and if you have your SAP channel on, that's fine. It, it, there are um, requirements and they should be playing when, I think the requirement is uh, anything that that visual that needs to be described and, and emergency information. But for TV sets, that's pretty easy. You turn on the SAP button and it works. But how do you turn on, let's say the app on the phone for the streaming device has the setting for SAP, but there's no setting on the phone to send the emergency info. You know, so how do you, you have to make sure there's a way to turn on and off the SAP. And who's to know, who's to say it's going to be called an SAP as we move into the digital sure. yeah. world? I mean, second, secondary audio program seems kind of quaint now when actually in digital, we can probably have 20 audio streams for one show. For sure. Mm -hmm. And same in the... Uh, the wireless or the, you know, the cell phone space. Right. Uh, we still need to be able to receive accessible emergency alerts when they are wireless emergency alerts. And there's a, a whole bunch of cell phones out there that still don't receive wireless emergency alerts. Correct. That's certainly a, a barrier as well, especially if it's a, a flip phone or a basic phone. Uh, more likely to be used by someone who is uh, lower income or as part of the Lifeline program. Or those who are older and pre prefer it, yeah. Yeah, we certainly want to make sure that they have access to um, accessible emergency a, information as well. I have a friend who's fully sighted, fully hearing, pretty good with technology, but they just want a flip phone because they don't want a phone where they can access the internet and get <laughs> And, 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 and get all this data. They only wanted to make phone calls. And there are some people who just want a phone to make phone calls. I know that. I don't understand. Really. I don't understand either. <laughs> yeah. To each their own. <laughs> well, it's funny. I heard, not to, to far off track, but I, I 
heard a, a, a joke on NPR the other day, how the young people now, when they go to somebody's house, they don't ring the doorbell, they just text someone, I'm here. <laughs> it's kind and of my true. my wife and I are looking like, why wouldn't you ring the doorbell? And the young people are like, that's so rude. <laughs> so, but I would, so, and one of the other things I'd like to see is more audio description. I'd like to see us on par with other countries, such as Canada and, and the UK where they have a percentage of shows that are required. Right now we're only doing 87 and a half hours a quarter by the four top broadcast networks and the five top cable networks, and that's just a fraction of the program they're required to do. I'd also like to see if the audio description doesn't work, is there a dedicated number to call to find out what's going on? The deaf and hard of hearing community have one for closed captioning, but we do not for the audio description. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to see more Internet of Things services be made accessible also. So there's a, there's, but having said that, I think the CVAA has come a long way and led to, you mentioned earlier, Claire, I don't know that Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and Prime Video and the myriad of other streaming services would have had audio description had not the CVAA opened the door and led the path for that. Mm-hmm. Carl, your point about uh, having technical assistance and support for when audio description isn't working or when the accessibility features on a, a set-top box or a service aren't working for a consumer to be able to use, that really ties into Jesse's point from, er- from earlier in our previous conversation. Um, Spit it out, Claire. Exactly, about not only needing accessible equipment, affordable equipment, but training and expertise to help people with disabilities learn how to use that equipment and have someone, a reliable expert to speak with when the technology is maybe not working the way it's supposed to, um, but also if there's some sort of incompatibility incompatibility because I can't talk anymore. Yeah, you're still on the struggle bus. <laughs> with, with all of our connected devices, right? You know, if you've got one type of TV well, with assistive technology and a set top box with another, how do you know who's talking to what? Right. So it would be nice to maybe have a customer support number for whatever service you're using. And a disability hotline maybe. You know, or or something to that effect. Because Let's be honest, if I call a major cable company, I'm going to get their customer service rep, and I'm going to say, my screen reader on the box isn't talking to me. What are the chances, unless they have trained their staff to deal with those issues that you're going to get through to somebody? So it would be nice if we had, um, I don't know if dedicated people, but if at least customer support was trained to deal with those issues or knew who to turn you to when those issues arise. Right. And we're talking about features that are built in. They've been engineered as part of the system. Right. So you would hope that there are trained professionals that know how to use this stuff by the people right. who are designing it and selling it. But I think but, we all know from personal experience that is not the case. <laughs> but it should be, it Claire. Should, I completely Gosh, agree. It. I completely it agree. should be, and it will in CVAA 2.0. That's my campaign pledge. Good. Uh, Carl, you also talked about you know, where we were 10 years ago. Um, 
and it's it's wild just to think how including a screen reader or accessibility software into the operating systems of touchscreen devices has just um, I can't t- say the word anymore. Claire, the word I'm looking for. Spread wildly. Starts with a P. Proliferated. Proliferated. There we go. Got it out. Um, how that's just spread across all uh, consumer technology, right? I'm sure in your um, yeah, it's ama- when I in your first, client shopping, I'm sure it came across yeah. some devices. Well, I remember having to buy a phone, and then we had to go to a third-party customer third-party company to buy a screen reader to download onto the flip phone, and it was often more expensive than the flip phone. I remember so, doing that, too. I was a wee child, but I remember right. that, too. So we, we paid what we all affectionately called the blindness discount. <laughs> um, and we're, excuse me, where now I buy the same iPhone. My wife and I just both bought brand-new iPhones. I paid the exact same price. And I had to show her how to set up her phone because she didn't know how to do it. Uh, well, she knew how to, she needed some help anyway. So, so it, 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 and now I can do social media. I can text, I can tweet, I can work at home during this pandemic on my phone. I do the email. I access many documents via a shared drive service and, and with a Bluetooth keyboard. My phone is access to work, access to entertainment, access to, to education. It, it's everything. And the CBAA has played a large role in that. It, and it's those same operating systems that are the baseline for the operating systems now in tablets and in refrigerators, appliances. And smart TVs. And, yes, t- yeah. connected TVs and security systems and speaker right. systems. Right, absolutely. And even, um, I believe I was in a car recently, I don't remember what model it was, but I was in a car recently where the screen in the back seat was accessible with the screen reader built into it. Um, Can I get that car? That's awesome. Yeah, so, so and I was like, to my the person I was with, the driver, I was like, I'm going to get in the backseat and hang out with the children. (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 yeah, I didn't know how to turn it on, but yeah, it was there. So, Carl, take one minute. We won't waste a lot of time, but we all know that you are the king of gadgets, especially entertainment related. How many devices do you have in your home that you use for entertainment purposes? Well, I've got... uh, I don't know, four or five different type of Echo devices. And then I have one, two, three. I have four different streaming devices. I have a Roku, an Apple TV, a Amazon device, and a Chromecast, just because I like to check the accessibility of those devices and see how okay. they work. And that's about it. <laughs> he says that, yeah. what, that was seven or eight devices. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and we're, and we're glad that the CVAA has made it possible for you to get some work done from home in between your tweeting and social media. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, my boss will not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, but, and, and I am not been watching television shows 
staying up watching them till three o'clock in the morning either. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we say this in jest, but it really is an important, um, not even side effect, but a tangible benefit of the CVAA making communications, video, um, but hardware and software more accessible. Imagine a worldwide pandemic where people who are blind did not have access to accessible communications tools. Imagine if all trying to work from home or be students right now. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, we need to expand the CVAA to include virtual education and medical services, Mm -hmm. which have grown dramatically during the Mm -hmm. pandemic. I don't know how, for instance, I would do, I just had a doctor's appointment today and I don't think the telehealth that they use would work for me. Um, so we and medical devices. How would I take my own blood pressure? How would I take my own oxygen? How would I take my own temperature? So that's another area we could potentially expand the CVA. So uh, virtual education and virtual virtual medical services are another area to look at too. Yeah, certainly Im- important fields um, to discover as and you know, investigate I have, more for. I haven't said that. I want to. I also want to um, thank those who supported the CBAA and passed it. We've been talking about our wish list for the future, but it's also done an amazing job in the present as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. So, Carl, thank you for helping us. uh, Thank you and happy anniversary. Yep. I like that. CBAA, happy anniversary. (laughs) This will be one anniversary I won't forget and not get in trouble. All right. Well, thank you. I hope I hope this met your expectations, and uh, I look forward to tuning in to all the events on Thursday. Thanks again, Carl. All right. Thanks, Carl. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. Great. So I don't know about you, Clark, but I really enjoyed hearing from those two guests. Carl really had me going there at the end. Carl, when you get them wind up talking about uh, communications and video accessibility, especially audio description and accessible user interfaces, um, he, you know, he gets that, I assume he gets that, that glint, glint in, in his, his eye. eye. I yeah. bet he does. You don't Absolutely. even have to see it to know it's there. Yeah. Right. And thank you so much to Jesse Acosta uh, for sharing his story as well as his advocacy that's helped make the CVA possible. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much to both of you. We really, um, really enjoyed having you guys. And you guys, raise a glass today. Celebrate. It's the anniversary of the CVAA. And stay tuned for other events coming up today by ACB in recognition of the CVAA, as well as a link to a special guest video that we will include in the notes of this podcast. Great. Well, as always, thanks for being with us and come back. And Clark, what do we always say? Keep advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.